and Ed. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of Lack of Focus. Here we are again with another one we're going to be doing this week's topic is going to be when to call it quits on a game. I am your host. Well, kind of your introductory host is not the right word because my host tonight is going to be one Mr. Sean Dorsey. Sean, how's it going, my friend? Good, Ed. How you doing? Good. And of course, as always, our producer extraordinaire, one Mr. Chris Sheriff. Chris, how's it going, my friend? Good, thanks, Ed. Good, good. So as usual, we will go into what we've been doing in gaming and hobbying recently. Sean, I think you may have the shortest list, so I am yes. not not assuming much, but I will definitely kick in your direction because I know you've been busy at work these, these two weeks. Yes. Um, so hobby-wise, I uh, set up my fish tank finally. Um, Yay! It's a good pictures, too. I, li- I like that long tank. Holy cow, do I like yeah. that. It's it's the same footprint as a 29. It's just a 20. 20 gallon long or a breeder some people call them breeders but it's just a 30 inch tank that's 12 it's like 12.1 or 2 inches tall Um, so it's not a deep tank but it has a large surface area which is why i like those tanks Um, well and the other thing you said to me that i like about those tanks i never thought about like the vertical tanks like if most of your fish kind of stay at the same water level they really don't have a lot of room to go back and forth well, Whereas with those long tanks, they have a much more running room. So it's, remember, it's the same length as your same length and width as your twenty nine. Right, it's just shorter. It's just shorter. So what what shorter tanks do is they limit you in water stratification. So fish, there are fish, you know, that are specific to a tank. Bottom dwellers. Uh, mid dwellers and then top dwellers so you with a larger tank you can stratify your fish load now that doesn't mean that the fish aren't gonna you know top water fish don't go to the bottom because they will for feeding some you know at times or vice versa or bottom or middle go to the top when you feed so um with the long tail or with the 20 long what i like about it because what i'm doing is it's it's the tank is for plants first. So it's a planted tank for plants first. And then I will add fish and shrimp as kind of a food source for the plants, we'll call it. So the purpose, the, their purpose will literally be to, you know, the nutrient side to have the nitrogen cycle work, you know, with the urea from the fish and the waste from fish and shrimp. Turning into, you know, ammonia, turning into, then going into nitrites, nitrates, and all that, which the plants will utilize and stuff. So That's my plan as well with my my 10-gallon. And then the second side of it is, I haven't set it up yet because I don't need it yet, is CO2. So what the CO2 is, it'll promote growth, of course, because plants need CO2 to grow and to, uh, you know, for cell growth and things like that. And I have a CO2, it's a, it's a pseudo do-it-yourself high-tech CO2 tank that I'll add to the tank probably in a couple of weeks. And that'll help me with, I, I plant what are called chain swords so, or, or they're miniature sword plants. But what they do is, is they grow and reproduce similar to sword plants where they'll send out runners and then you can clip them and replant them and stuff. And that's kind of like that foreground carpet plant that i'm going to use 
Um, yeah, I like so, those, those runners are really cool because you can actually literally carpet them out if you really wanted to. That's, that, that's, that's you know, I bought four of those plants and potentially it'll be, you know, it'll fill up an entire half of a, you know, 30 gallon or a 30 inch tank um, with just four plants, you know, but that's kind of what the CO2 will do is it'll force faster growth and stuff. So I still have to rearrange it a little bit. I don't totally like where I put Java ferns and stuff like that, um, but it is designed for, I have Valsanilia in there. I have um, cryptocorn, a lot of cryptocorns in there because I love crypts. I don't have any Anubius yet. I got to get some Anubius um, so that I can, you know, kind of do the, what I call the tufts of Anubius in there and stuff. Or they'll just kind of grow this big, bushy, I don't, you know, you know, the rhizome grows out. So they just get really big and bushy and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that's the majority of my hobby stuff. I will say, I, I will say this though. So my son has been, has been going through the Imperium magazine stuff and building out that. So um, I, th- I think he's somewhere in, in, in the 40s. And he started at 11 and he's into the forties now. So that's a lot of models, terrain, paint, you know, and stuff like that, that we've got. Sure is. Um, and we're up to either 67 or six, I think it's 67 or, um, yeah, I think it's at 67 now. And then the next one will be the next four will be like 68, 69, 70 and 71 or something like that. We need to be close to the end, aren't they? Well, they originally did 80, so the original, and then the popularity, they did they did 10 more, and the, and I, you know, I don't like how they're doing, I probably won't do it, but they're a sister of battle model that you're building over basically 10, there's three of them, and you're building them over 10, um, you know, 10 magazines. Oh, I missed that. I'll have to look that up. Well, they, they, they they added it later. That that was something that came later. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue the 81 to 90 run yet, but I will go up to 80 because 80 was the original run. And that's where you get all of your, you know, all of your Space Marines, your sisters, your um, Astra Mechanicus, and then or the Mechanicus, and then all the Necrons, because, and we have a crap ton of Necrons now, so I think you get like 2,400 points of Necrons, which is literally, you know, way more than enough, so, you know, and then terrain, we have terrain flowing out of shelves (laughs) in the house now, it's literally, we have a, we have a bookshelf, you know, an Ikea bookshelf full of terrain, and then terrain just all over the place, because it's so big, and, I wasn't expecting that much terrain. I thought there were only like six terrain packs, but it looks like they added more as they went. So, but yeah, the ar- the article I'm looking at right now said basically that there's over thirty two hundred dollars worth of stuff. Yeah, and you're paying like eighteen hundred or something like that for it, mm-hmm. or sixteen hundred for it. Which, when you're getting into a game, I mean, you're getting two full armies and then four. You know, four battle boxes because you're getting Space Marine wise, you're getting like 2,100 points. I think you get somewhere in the range of like 400 of Sisters of Battle, um, and then our Sororitas, and then you get like 350 or something of the Mechanicus, 
and then you get uh, what else do you get? Then then you get the like the the chaos uh, orcs and whatever the other two are of the like they're like battle box size stuff. Right. Oh, you get you... three. You get three Paragon War suits over those new ones. That's really cool. And then the last part, I was reading the 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 eighty one to nine to ninety content. Yeah. And then the Redemptor Dreadnought gets into that too. That's really cool. Yeah, but once again, it's like you know, do I want to commit another few hundred bucks for you know? Yeah, it's you know, you're getting your value out of it per magazine and stuff, but. I don't know if I want to keep spending money on that for because I'm not going to play sisters per se as you know large army. I have a sisters box, but I'm not going to play sisters. Sure. You know. uh, if you ever decide you want to you want to get rid of those, you let me know. And if you do <laughs> if you do elect to go, I could use more Paragon War suits. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I did too is I bought. Um, so I I I have a color printer. Uh, color laser printer so what i did is i bought the five by eight cards um what are they called they're like the ones you use for note cards that you use for like speeches and stuff like that oh uh, yeah index in- cards index cards thank you i bought uh, a bunch of those i bought a whole case of the stick glue so i'm gonna print out all of the the uh Dang, I can't think. Tonight. I'm so tired tonight. No, the, um, the index data cards. You're, you're. That's yeah, right. yeah, the data cards for the armies, and then I bought a laminating machine, and I'm gonna basically make my own index cards and not go buy them. It's actually probably not a bad idea because uh, my local game store did not get their order, and the reason why they didn't get their order is because they had been recalled. So, like for example, Gabe and I went up um, last. But you're act- talking about different things. Are we? Yes. I'm the talking about the cards are what got yeah. recalled. The index um, cards are fine. Yeah. Oh, the really? data, yeah, yeah, the data slate cards. Yeah, the data are... slates are all fine. It's just that everyone yeah. was short shipped on them, so that's probably why we didn't get them. There was a recall on the non-exclusive Leviathan um, mission cards because three of the three of the cards in the pack have got a misprint. Uh, yeah, which probably, yeah. probably tell you which cards they are if you give me a second. Well, I know, I know, because it was in the GT pack, which ones were misprinted. So yeah. they actually they had new cards in there. It's it. Well, so then my um the I guess the guy behind the counter, uh, at our local game store must have been misinformed because what he told uh, Gabe and I was that there was a recall and they didn't get them and they're going to be getting them again soon. So I, yeah, basically, uh, from what I understand, everyone in North America was short shipped the orders of the data slates. Yeah. Uh, so. So my solution is I'm not going to use all the data slates. So I'm just going to print the ones I'm going to use. And then I can actually use the um, either wet erase or dry erase markers if I laminate them and I can take notes. And Yeah, that's a good idea. On, you know, so, um, you know, instead of going out and buying the packs, I'll just do that. And then we'll have what we need, you know, for each one. I can print as I go, too, you know. I don't have to manage another whole slew. You know, Space Marines are going to have eight bazillion data slates. And uh, tr- all right, true. Space Marines, like, they're, right, so, like, the average... Militarum. Uh, Militarum is going to have a shit ton of true. data slates, you know. So, like, the average armies are, like, that thick, and, like, the Space Marine one is, like, that thick. And I know that yeah. doesn't translate over well on an audio medium, so the standard ones are about, I don't know, an inch 
thick for all of their cards and space Marines is like three inches thick. Yeah. Like it's cause they have so many, the catch with that is you don't need all of those though. You don't need to print out every single one. Like if you don't nope. have a primaris captain, you nope. don't need to print the card. Nope. And if I'm not using it, you know, and now if I, once you print it once you're done, you know, right. But I figure it's, you know, it's, it's print on demand for me. And then, you know, if I'm prepping to play, because I can write the points down on it, too, how many points I'm spending on that type of unit so that I have it. And then the next time I play it, I just erase it and put the amount of points so I know. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that those, point, those points are going to be fluid, so I would put that in a place That's, that can be changed. Well, no, 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 no. I'm talking about because I'm laminating them. Oh, you mean for the dry erase thing? Yeah, no, that's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, and then I just have the amount of points that I'm going to spend, you know, and write the notes and stuff on the actual data slate for that battle and stuff. And then, you know, it, it's basically a way for me to spend a lot of money to, it's actually equal for what I spent for the machine, the laminating machine, the cutters, and everything else is actually less than I would spend on the data slates because. The Militarum and um, so the Militarum and the Space Marines are twenty five bucks a piece. So that's fifty bucks right there. The Thousand Suns was eighteen bucks, and then we have Orcs too that we can play with. Um, you know, so that's another eighteen bucks. So I spent less than the total cost in that, and not having to worry about maintaining all those extra cards and stuff too. So. Yeah. I'm going to have to give that idea a, sh- a thought. Yeah. And if they if they update their data slates, you know, all I need to do is just print them out again and redo them. You know, it's not like you're Right. Yeah, no, you're not you're th- I mean that's not a sunk cost file, so you can just print them again. No, I like that. Yep. You know, you can and you can print them, put them on the old card and relaminate the old card if you, you know, if you if you're worried about wasting cards and stuff like that. So Sure, 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 sure. So, yeah. So that's pretty much been my, uh, you know, my two weeks. It, it's been, you know, I had, we had a huge inspection at work. So last week was preparation for it. And this week was going through it and stuff. So um, I'm pretty well wiped out from the last. Yeah, we just did our, we just did our, uh, our big, big um, audit from the FDA, which we passed with flying colors, but that's always a highly stressful uh, time frame. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so I so. guess I'll move, I'll move on with mine, if that's okay with you. Um, I mean, just going to say, I haven't said good thanks, Ed, yet. Oh, yeah, you did. When I no, said I didn't. at the very beginning, when I said, hey, yeah. Christmas. No. All right, so those who are listening, <laughs> go go back. I'm almost positive he said that. You, you said, welcome to Wacka Focus. This week's topic's going to be the, uh, then you went, it's not my topic, it's Sean's topic. How are you, Sean? And then we went off on yep, Sean. I, I totally remember doing producer extraordinaire. Yeah. All right. So in the comments, <laughs> send Chris emails uh, at. If I'm, if I'm wrong, I'll just edit it. It's fine. Oh, come on. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chris, on that faux pas, if that is indeed what I do, I'll ask you what you have done lately in gaming and hobby. Oh, it's fine. If you want to go next, I can close. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. I'm good. By all uh, means, please do. 
Yeah, I just you know I, I'm here as well. I don't want to only interject to correct oh, yeah, you about of course, the, of uh, course. the shipping status of index cards because you no, know, like legitimately, if I did make that mistake, I do apologize. I no, I don't no. think I did that, but you know what? We're both we're all getting old. We're all getting a little bit crazy. Maybe it's possible. I can accept the possibility that I made a mistake. So by all means, Chris. First I don't think it's a mistake. I'm pretty sure you were just um, trying to get your head around how you wanted to do hosting the show but it's not your topic because we've right. not done it this way before right that's okay. that's okay anyway chris what have you been first of all how are you doing chris our producer extraordinaire chris sheriff how's it going good thanks ed <laughs> good yeah. why don't you move on with what you've been doing in gaming and having <laughs> um i have actually started painting again um i've been off the horse for a little while so um, I got some shore troopers painted. I got some battle tech painted. I did. I painted eight battle tech mechs. I um, saw that. Um, I painted a Gar Saxon for Shatterpoint, which I was really disappointed with because the larger scale models kind of ruin all of my usual tricks and cheating ways of getting it done quickly. So that was a, a fun learning experience. So I wanted to try and paint it. Like in an hour, an hour and a half kind of thing, and it just nowhere near how I wanted it to look. So that was interesting. Um, so, so when you say tricks, I mean because when you're painting at larger scales, what do you, what do you mean? Like some of the tricks, as far as like so, uh, like normally, I if I'm painting at a smaller scale, I I can kind of take shortcuts and use shades and washes to kind of do dirty blends and stuff like that to kind of or I've been there done um, yeah, kind of. Give the appearance of effort is what I generally term it when I'm teaching people <laughs> how to paint. Yeah, um, non oil is ma is a magic little formula that'll take you from an okay painter to a good painter like that. <laughs> yeah, but the um, the shadow point models, as well as being a large scale, all have uh, details sculpted into them. So all the lines in the helmet for Gar Saxon are all sculpted on, so you don't just paint it freehand oh. to get the pattern effect. Um, oh, I see. Which, if you're trying to paint it properly, would be easier, I want to say, but it kind of ruins the way I would normally cheat and give the indication, like, give the impression of him having these things. Yeah, you, like can, these trick, little you can trick details. the eye with, with, yeah. with, yeah, 100%. But, yeah, couldn't do that, so that was great. Awesome. I have a model that I really despise now, <laughs> uh, which is a shame. Uh, no, uh, my friend Sue said she'd give me one of uh, her one because she only wants to paint a couple of the models out of a car set. So I'm going to have a replacement Gar Saxon, which I'm going to do without the helmet, just so that I can um, not go through that pain again. <laughs> um, but yeah, my show troopers look good, I think. I enjoyed doing those. I put lots of um, foliage on the bases and stuff. So Yeah, uh, those, got, those look sharp. Yeah, I've got it as like a scarif effect um kind of setting so i have three units of shore troopers for uh my impact my legion collection i'm painting two of them to be part of my scarif defense force and then i'll paint one of them to be part of my remnant and they'll get different basing and um if i want to play two units in remnant i'll just have to you know have some in in scarif base theme it's fine don't worry about it it'll be fine but yeah um it was one of the discussions i was having with a couple of my friends about um 
like I, I want to have a themed army, so all the basins got to be right. But then, like I can't do my snow troopers in desert basing. So no, my snow troopers are gonna have to be uh, have to be on snow. So I'll have like, a blizzard force army, where it's all snow trooper themed, all on snow. Then I'll have a Scarif base, Rogue One themed army, and then I'll have my remnant Moff Gideon dark troopers and like more um, like rough looking stormtroopers and everything. And then I'll have my Shadow Collective. Um, but the, the stupid thing I find, I spoke about this on Deployment Garrison, uh, but trying to figure out what bounty hunter I want to use, I enjoy splashing in a bounty hunter into Imperial List because it adds like that um that centerpiece model that you can kind of enjoy playing and have a little bit more fun with and bosk has been my easiest one to use most recently and he's what i was using in my in my shadow collective and he's just got like a long range kind of mortary style gun adds suppression and just does his thing but he's already based to fit that army i don't want to buy a second bosk so i've yeah. been using ig88 instead that means that I'll base IG-88 in a kind of more neutral kind of basing that can hopefully hover between a couple of lists a little bit easier. Um, then I played a game of Battletech. I had an intro game of Battletech. So One of my regrets fun. from was not being able to get in for the uh, the intro there because, oh boy, did they have a presence there. Yeah, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely a dated game. Definitely feels like an old game by playing Battletech. There's so many stages before you get to move on. So like roll pick your weapon, fly your heat, roll to hit, um, roll for uh if you're firing like missiles, roll for a number of missiles in the volley. Roll for each hit location from a missile in the volley. If you're using yeah. SRMs, you've got to do it individually. Yeah. Um, I've I've heard that about the game. Uh, like it's very it adds that level of detail, but it definitely feels that like date. Even when I talk about a game like um, 40k, where it's roll to hit, roll to wound, roll to save, that feels dated to me now. Having played games like um, Warcry, where it's roll if you beat the number, take a model off. Right. Like, like Lord of the Rings is another one where the toughness and the to hit roll and everything like it's roll to hit, roll to wound, dead. Uh, you know what I mean? It's all kind of baked in. So, well, 40, 40K it, it's interesting. Do you remember what it was like whenever you had my weapon skill is four, your weapon skill is five? That means you're hitting me on fives, and then your strength is this, and my strength is that, and then, oh, you can't, you're wounding me on sixes, and like, like, like there were charts you had to memorize each of oh, those charts. Yeah, they, they've I, come, I, they've come a ways, but I agree that it does still feel like a dated mechanic. Yeah, and it's just one of those things, like. Um, what was the other thing I find interesting? You have charts for the hit locations, which vary depending on on your location in relation to your target's location. So, oh, this shot comes from the left-hand side. So you roll on a chart. Ooh. And it, it's a different table for depending on front, rear, left, and right. But every time I shot them from the left, I'd hit right arm. And every time I shot from the right, I'd hit left arm. I'm like... Why does this even exist then? <laughs> why am I, why does it I, I'm sure it was outlandishly like skewed roles. It's not like I was it's a 2d6 based 
um, system. So obviously, two to twelve. What is it? Thirty-six different possible roles or whatever. Um, oh, but yeah. So I'm sure more of the left-hand side stuff is in the seven, like six, seven, eight range. Sure, the bell curve kind of thing. Yeah, but every it felt like every time I was like, oh, I hit the the opposite side I was shooting from. So I'm I'm moving around to try and pick on the side that I've done damage to, and then still hitting the other side. So I'm I'm spreading the damage across all of the armor possible. So oh, I've lost. 100% 100% of my armor now. I was like, great, why aren't you dead? It's theoretically, if you shoot, hit them in like the center torso and push through just the damage on the center torso, the mech still dies. It can have all of its armor on its left arm, right arm, left leg, right leg. Doesn't matter. Yeah, no, but, that makes sense. But when you do 50 damage to each limb. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was amusing. There are some benefits to it, though. Like, it disables, like, weapons, it disables movements, stuff oh, like yeah. that. So, like, I mean, it's yeah. not useless. And it was, because I was weaving him on one point of... I never got into structure. So, I, I was using a mixture of, like, um, medium to light mechs. I think my heaviest mech was, like, a 45-ton mech. Um, I had four, and then Aiden, who was showing me how the game works, had two. He had a... Um, a 25 ton commando like i had and then he had a fancy like hodgepodge salvage mech which was like half one thing half another so it was a lot heavier than mine in star wars lore that would be an ugly yeah but um he he shot and missed a couple of times and then he shot and hit me i was like oh okay I, I understand why I've been lucky so far now, as he stripped all of my armor and most of my structure from like my left arm in one hit, kind of thing. Whereas now I'm shooting everything at him and just spreading damage. I'm like, Ooh. Ooh. So I got lucky. I kicked him in the ankles a couple of times and knocked him over, and eventually detonated his um, LRM ammo, which blew up his mech. And then I chased off his, his smaller mech with my entire force bearing down on him. Um, but yeah, it's really weird. I've never, obviously, I've been aware of BattleTech. I've played the computer game. I fired up a new, um, a new career mode on the, is it Heresy Lab something or, or HBA? I can't remember. It's the relatively recent BattleTech computer game. It's got like a campaign mode, and then it's got a career mode, and you can just do skirmish battles. So I'm kind of aware of little bits of it never really had an interest in the, the tabletop game does it play like the tabletop yeah uh, pretty close there's some key differences um like if you as you move the further the further and faster your mech moves the harder it is to hit in the video game each time you shoot at it it drops down a level so the next mech that shoots it'll get easier in the tabletop game you just move that fast and it stays at that level uh, oh, re- really um, quick, I'm taking yeah. some notes here, and what I just learned is that if I take a mech and I do a European football slide tackle on a bigger mech, I can take it out pretty easily and <laughs> make sure, you know, that I that I have that strategy in my pocket if I ever play the game. Uh, my joke for Battletech has always been that the correct way to play is uh, you inter. You move so that you can only hit the upper torso and head 
you can't hit the legs because they're like behind a building or behind um, hills. Then you just aim for a head every time. And if you put the damage on the head, you just kill a pilot and it's dead. Right, right. But yeah, you might need a 12 to hit, but you'll roll a 12 eventually. Well, enough dice, it'll happen. Um, but no, it, the video game it has got some key differences, but functionally, if you can play one, you can play the other. I've always been kind of curious similar. about that game because, like, so it's like, I would recommend it. It's really good fun. For, for me, the, the actual, go. oh, go ahead. Uh, the actual story arc campaign is really good as well. It's relatively um, open, open world. You can kind of take other contracts and do other things, but uh, there's an overarching story to play through, um, and it, it's pretty solid. I've put probably over a hundred hours into a game. Uh, oh, geez, good. For me, is um, a lot. I don't get to play overly much. How many hours do I have in Battletech? Well, while you're looking that up, the 141 hours. Ooh, play time. So yeah. For me, it was the uh, the best translation from on the tabletop to a video game has always been Cyanide's uh, Blood Bowl versions. I've not played Blood Bowl three. Um, it's my understanding that they went a little loot box microtransaction heavy on that game so i'm kind of holding off on touching it uh blood bowl 2 on my ps4 ps5 still works just fine for me um i actually was debating um my wife has taken the kids to tennessee she's got a cousin that lives in austin and they're kind of meeting in the middle and unfortunately with five dogs including this big one behind me that if you hear snoring she's hiding from the thunderstorms we had today um Somebody has to stay at home with the doggos because we've got big, scary dogs and people are kind of afraid of hanging out with them for a week. So we kind of split our holidays where she goes one direction with the kids and I go another direction with the kids later in the week or later in the month. So that's how we're doing this one. Um, but I've got basically six days of sitting at home and I'm like, what am I going to do for six days? Well, I'm going to fire up a Blood Bowl team and start playing some Blood Bowl because I haven't touched that game in a while. And a shit ton of painting for sisters. That's my plan, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I did play a game of X Wing, but uh, it was like an intro game for a new player, so doesn't really count too no, much. No, I've been doing that a lot lately too. I'll get into that on mine. Yep. Oh, that's me done. I'm happy to move on. Oh, cool. All right, mine real quick. All right, building. So we have two new players that have basically entered the hobby that Chad has brought to the game store. Um, one of them um, went halvesy with one of the other guys at the store and got the space Marine half of the um, Leviathan box set. So he's got bait and that box set's awesome. Cause it comes with basically a thousand points of space Marines right off the bat. So what I did is I dug out my um, Indominus box set and said, if we combine these two boxes, you have well over 17, 1800 points here to work with. We can make you a 50 because we're playing 1500 points at the store. We can make you a 1500 point list and you can actually play with models, which is cool. And then we have another player. His name is Cameron, who bought himself the Black Templars um, Combat Patrol, which comes with about 460 points in it. And I went, OK, so now I can give you the contents of my Leviathan box set and a rhino, and that will get you up to 1,500 points. The only downside to that was I hadn't finished building all of the Marines out of that, so I had a mad dash 
um, from Sunday to Monday in two days to finish all the building um, of all the of all the units inside of Leviathan so that he could play his stuff. And then he and I are going to play a combat patrol game because I've not done that yet. And I'm kind of curious to see what that's like. Um, but it'll also play more like with the models that he because he's like really new. So it's a coaching game. So I'm going to be coaching him and this other new guy in a combat patrol game, much smaller, about 500 points. Um, but so they can kind of learn how to play the game all together. He's been kind of like sideline watching kind of thing, but he hasn't really actually played. So um, my uh, my role as community leader, I guess, um, is going to be uh, teaching some new guys how to play on Tuesday. But I did get one of the best games, I think. All right, probably best is not right. I had one of the best gaming moments I've had in recent memory happen on Tuesday. In my 1,500-point game, I was playing Chad, and Chad got himself Angron, and oh boy, was he so happy to field Angron, and Angron's going to walk up and destroy and mutilate my sisters, and I was pretty convinced he was correct because I saw him put him on the table. He saved it for a surprise, as Chad tends to do, and as his uh, army list building always tends to go, one big, fat, super destructive unit, and... I don't really have enough points left for anything else. I got a bunch of other little stuff, though. They're just kind of filling some gaps, and that's it. I've played big scary against big scary models before. I know the tactics and strategies of how to deal with it. You basically kite them into one particular direction where, I mean, I mean, Angron's Angron. He is going to kill four units a game if my plan goes to fruition the way that I want it to. Meaning on turn one, he's going to move forward. On turn two, he's going to kill something. On turn three, I'm going to put something in front of him that he's going to kill. And turn four, I'm going to put something in front of him that he's going to kill. And on turn five, I'm going to put something in front of him that he's going to kill. But if you put that over to the far side of the board, that means the rest of his tiny army isn't doing anything else because they don't have, like, the rest of my army can focus on all of that. And I, the way that sisters are currently in 10th edition, I had to build some throwaway units in there specifically for those reasons that they're just going out, grabbing objectives and expecting to die. That's going to go out, grab an objective and expect it to die. Like that's their whole purpose in the game. So I had a pretty good game plan going in. So turn, turn one, because he had this special rule with his special dice that he was able to get Angron to move further than I thought he could. Mistake on my part. Um, Angron charges Morvan Vol and Paragon Warsuits. And I look at that and I go, well, this is going to be quick because once she dies and she's basically the center of the board, he can just go wherever the hell he wants. So I've completely screwed up my plan because I wasn't aware he could make the, the distance he could. So Angron charges my Paragon Warsuits. There's a mechanic in Warhammer 40 because if someone charges you, you can shoot them before they charge. Morvan Vall and her group of girls get to reroll to hit and reroll to wound, and they all have melting guns. Angron starts off at 16 wounds, so on Overwatch, I hit him twice. Makes a, he makes a invul save and a couple of his feel no pains, but long story short, he gets down to 12 wounds. Comes in swinging, and Chad rolls like Chad rolls, and he rolls suboptimally. I don't want to necessarily say he rolled poorly because he still killed two Paragon Warsuits and knocked one down to half. So that left Morvan Vol and one Paragon Warsuit on half wounds. Sisters have a stratagem that allows them to fight on death, meaning even if the model dies, it still gets to swing before it goes out. So I swing for all of my Paragon Warsuits, and I get them down to eight wounds. And then Morvan Vol comes in, and she has an ability that her weapon causes mortal wounds on sixes. And she rerolls to hit and rerolls to wound. 
So on her eight attacks, I rolled two sixes. And he, her weapon does three wounds each. So that's six wounds that he can't do anything about except for his field of pains. And I picked up the other six dice. I rolled them again and rolled six more, two more sixes. So what um, that means is Angron... I'm sure happy. Oh boy, was he not happy. But I think the entire store knew when that happened. Because in my head, that was a no-win solution, no-win situation for me. That was the Kobayashi Maru right there. Like, you're just going to die. There's nothing you can do. And I ended up pulling it out and killing Angron from the World Eaters in close combat with Sisters of Battle. And he, uh, it was, I mean, and that ended the game. I hate to say it. I mean, Chad did his best to try to, to recover from that. But that was a third of his army basically off the board on turn one. Just gone. And I just went off and did all my old thing. The rest of the game legitimately doesn't matter because once Angron died, he died. And I'm, I, I just, I literally cannot like the, the, the closest that I can remember was I remember going to a tournament at a library. I don't know if I've ever told this story on air before, but I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate it. I went to a tournament in a library. I'm at the final table where uh, I'm trying to win this event. And I had someone put 26 wounds from bolter fire into two terminators that were sitting on an objective on the final turn terminators have a two plus save for those who do not know which means on a d6 anything but a one i'm good but everyone that i roll that's a dead terminator so with 26 dice those should have been two dead terminators and my opponent should have won that run that roll and i picked up 26 dice i rolled them and i didn't roll a single one not one and I like let out this roar. It was like amazing. And then the Tio goes, I'm so happy you're having your time. Please remember we're in a library. <laughs> so that goes, that's up there on like one of those games. Like I'm going to remember that one for a really, really long time. Cause the next game that I play against Chad with anger and he's going to completely mop the floor with him in coast combat. But that one game, I'm always going to be able to hold on to for that. So that was my gaming. I'm doing some coaching next week. We're getting more, more guys in. Um, I took the Games Workshop release, the GT rules. So I printed out all these rules because I'm trying to teach these guys the right way to play the game so that everything's sitting on the table for them so they can read it. Um, so that, as the, like I said, de facto community lead up there, I guess that's kind of what I'm doing with helping everyone else learn how to play 10th edition. And last but not least, oh boy, have I been still on my painting train. Um, I did paint some, uh, post some pictures in for uh, the 40K um, thread in our Discord, um, some photos. I didn't get great f shots, and I'll make sure to do that this weekend. I forgot to do it, um, but I did promise in my our last episode that I was going to get pictures of my painted sisters. Um, they are there. They're on the table. I did get two shots, one squad on the left and one squad on the right. So I did complete my goal. I didn't hit my stretch goal. Um, so right, so I've got... More sisters painted. I've got five characters painted up uh, on the table right now waiting to be painted. I'm, they've got two or three colors on them. I still got ways to go on those. And I'm just churning out every week. Every week, it's five models. Every week, five models. And if I keep up on that, if I keep up on that train, I will have all the stuff painted that I want done. I'm kind of at a crossroads because right now, once those five characters are painted, all of the infantry level models that I field at 1,500 points is painted so i can either a go left and start painting models that are infantry still but not currently in my list but could be in my list at some point in time or i could go b paint the stuff that i'm fielding on the table that isn't painted yet my paragon war suits morvan vol and my tanks 
And there's a big part of me that wants to go down the B route because I want to be able to field a fully painted army at the game store. So I think that's the route I'm going to go. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt that I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm getting a little burned out on painting sisters infantry. I think I've painted over 50 models. Um, the five upstairs will be the, the, you know, you know, 45 through or 46 through 50. And I kind of want to stop painting infantry for just a little, I need a break, but I can't stop painting. Like I can't get off this train. Cause I know me, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to take one week off and then it'll go four months before I pick up a paintbrush again. So I can't do it to myself. So I've got this time coming up. My wife and kids are leaving for six days. I've got nothing to do in the evening except put Lord of the Rings on the extended cut for the second time around. Or maybe I'll, I'll start my um, Star Trek The Next Generation run again and just sit down and paint. But if I work my butt off over those next couple of nights, hopefully I can get those five characters done and maybe two tanks done. The Castigator and the Emulator. I'm really kind of looking forward to doing the emulator because I want to do the stained glass thing. Like I've seen multiple videos on how to do it. I'm really looking forward to trying it. I just haven't done it yet because it's not come up on the list so but i am getting hobby done so i told the guys in our group chat i got the trifecta done i got gaming done i got painting done and i got building done in my two weeks yes right and then i i had a question that i held from our pre-game show that i was going to ask uh, uh sean about aquariums and it's gone wherever it was it got pushed to the back and it evaporated into the ether so if i think about it during the course of this i'll ask but yep. i I am going to kick this over to Sean. So we were talking the main topic for the evening, how, what to do when getting out of the game or how to know when to get out of a game. So Sean, this is your topic. I leave it to you, my friend. Yep. So conceptually what, what, what the topic is about is it's kind of a twofold topic. So it's, you know, when, at what point do you realize, you know, that you're, you're going to get out of a game and that could be board games, you know, and this could be selling a board game that you used to play a lot or selling a board game, but it could also be the tabletop games. You know, when do you decide that, um, you know, enough is enough? You know, you've you've done your bit for king and country with the game and you just can't do any more. Um, can, we, can we include our card flipping friends in that too? Yeah, yep. You can include, you know, any card games or whatever because, you know, the gaming hobby is so large, the, you know, it's just not miniature models and things like that. I know that that's what we talk about a lot, but, um, and I'll, I'll kind of kick it off a little bit. So, and I'm not going to go with my big one right away, but so a good example is I, I owned a board game called Cyclade, um, or, you know, I don't know how you, other people pronounce it a little bit differently. I've always pronounced it Cyclades, but it was kind of a, a you know, an ancient Greek type board game. It was a four-player board game, and it was one that in a game group that we had, um, you know, 10, 10 plus years ago, um, who was led by a guy who moved to Georgia after, you know, uh, at some point. So it's a game I had sitting on my shelf. We had played it um, in the board game group and things like that, and it's a game I really loved. I enjoyed playing it a lot, um, but... I was, you know, in a in the you know local Facebook group for board games, and someone had asked, um, you know, if somebody owned the game and if they would be willing to sell it, and you know, I sold it, you know, for undervalue. Um, he couldn't afford as like, we top. tend to do. Well, he couldn't really afford top dollar for it, so you know, I was good. It was 
been sitting unopened after six years, seven years, you know, so I know that I'm never going to play it again at that point. So I decided, but the problem is, is that, you know, you, you buy games and you want to play games. And that was a tough decision for me because you never know, you know, I might find a group that might like a game like that. And, and it was a game that I really enjoyed, but, you know, I just made the decision to, you know, get out of the game and, you know, get a little money back and probably spend it on another game. I don't remember what I did, but, but, uh, probably spend it on X-Wing actually. Um, you know, but that's kind of where, where conceptually this goes is, is board games, card, card games, you know, um, and then of course miniatures, which we probably all have many topics on that. Oh boy. So Ed, I'll throw it at you next. So since we're forgetting about Chris in tonight's episode, I'll throw it at you, Ed. Okay, that works for me. So for me, when do I start debating getting out of a game? The very first thing that whenever you throw this topic out there that came to mind is when the game stops becoming fun. Now, there's a lot of caveats and there's a lot of nuance to an answer like that. So uh, the game could stop becoming fun because all the people that you play with have stopped playing the game and there's no one to play with the game. And that is one of the things that we've talked about in the past whenever getting into a new game um, is making sure that the money that you're spending on your hobby, you can actually go somewhere and actually play with some people. I know some people are totally content with the idea of I've got I've got this game. We play this game at my house. I have a buddy that comes over once every couple of months and we get a game in. Some people are satisfied with that. Some people aren't. Um, but if the game in your local gaming, uh, group or your, or you don't have, um, access to people that play it on a fairly regular basis, that's probably one of those times you might want to start debating either a finding a new gaming group or B, maybe it's time to, to move on from the game. If you're not having fun that way. Um, the other side to that is, uh, if you're not having fun because the game has switched in addition and maybe you don't like the, the way that it's going. Maybe you don't like the way the theme's played. Maybe the company that has made some drastic change and it's just not fun for you anymore. You're just not enjoying it as much. Um, that, that is one other. And the other, the third side to that, the argument that I had for that was if you happen to the, the style of the game that you want to be playing at your local area, isn't the way that you want to play it. And the example that I'm always going to pull are our friends at our local game store that only ever play um, crusade um, at our local game store. They have no care in the world for match play or competitive play. Like they're more into the creating of the stories, creating their characters and their, the, the name characters. And if that were me and everybody at the game store played highly competitive games, and that's just not the way that I want to play it and I have no other options, maybe that's another time to start debating. Maybe this just isn't the game for me. You have an example of a game that you've left like that. So uh, the easiest one for me is I think I've mentioned this before, but the, I, I gave an attempt at the old warmer hordes. And that was definitely not a game for me. Um, I it's whenever I was transitioning over from uh, late sixth edition 40K, which had become broken as hell. That's actually probably a good example, actually, right there. Um, so I had played um, uh, 40K from fourth edition all the way through fourth edition, all the way through fifth, halfway through about sixth. And the game became so grossly unbalanced. It was, I didn't even recognize it anymore from the game that I had grown up knowing and loving how to play. 
force organization charts didn't matter. People were allying in Forge World units, and it, it, it just became a game that was so untenable for me and so unfun to play. I had to take a step away. Now, I didn't sell anything. This is kind of like, well, I did sell two armies that I had, but that's because I took a brief dip into the toe of chasing the meta and then realize how cost inefficient that is and elected to just dump that and just stay with the stuff that I had. Um, but when the game became unfun for me, like it, it literally felt like a chore to go up to the game store and play games because I just didn't enjoy it. I wasn't having fun with the, the addition. I wasn't having fun with the way the game was being played. And it felt so at back in those days, Games Workshop legitimately did not give a shit if a unit they released was broken or an army they released was broken and didn't care about balancing the game. It, it was it, so it, it came to the point that I knew that I had to step away because it was unfun for me to play the game. And that's whenever, aside from my brief little touch in the water, toe in the water of Worm Hordes, that's whenever I started hearing talk about X-Wing, how fun and balanced that game was, how good that game was. I was hearing a lot of talk about it, picked it up, really enjoyed it. And oh boy, did I have a good, long, run, happy run playing X-Wing. So, so Chris, we'll uh, get on to the Forgotten Man for tonight. <laughs> um, you know, where do you stand in this topic? You know, have you, have you found a game that you enjoyed and then, you know, quit it later or sold it or did whatever you did, you know, with it or, you know, something of that effect? Yeah, um, a couple of examples from, like, I say recent, I mean, like, the last five years six years whatever but um imperial assault would be a solid one that i really enjoyed i played it quite a lot it was i believe i was playing it more i was playing x-wing for a while when we were still doing the show with paul i know we used to right. have like kind of little sidebars on um, imperial assault um but it kind of just stopped being fun uh the the way list building needed to work and the kind of style of gameplay just went in a way that i wasn't really interested in right um and that was very not upsetting but just recognizing it i mean i still have the the majority i've sold off um like unpainted stuff or anything where it was easy to put it kind of back in the box to be used as like the board gamey side or right where i had multiple sets of the the floor tiles because i'd bought multiple packs because i was playing skirmish not campaign and all of that um so that kind of happened uh, i think armada i kind of don't Ooh. i have i bought back into armada just to have a cool fleet in the cabinet but i have no intention of playing and probably never will again um because i just didn't at the time i was in a place in my life where i didn't have the the capacity to do a, a three-hour game Right, X Wing. I could play two games of X Wing in in less time than that, with less setup time. It needed less space. You know, I could be in. I could drive to Calgary, set up, play two games, be home, and I'd still be trying to play one game of Armada. <laughs> um, right. And like Forty K suffered from the same thing for a long time for me. Um, and yeah, it's been those kind of things for me. De definitely. More often than not, it is time constraints and where I want to be, what I want to be doing. Um, I haven't abandoned, um, what was it called? The new Alex Davey one at D Dungeons and Dragons Onslaught. Oh, Onslaught. 
yeah, I I still have a bunch of that. I've not played in a little while, but I don't think I'll abandon that because it's a relatively quick kind of game. It's like ninety-ish minutes. Setup's easy. It's and it's pre-painted, so I can whilst I won't play it that much, I'm still buying everything for it and doing all of that due diligence for the game. Right. Um, but I haven't needed to um kind of deal with weaving it you know what i mean yeah yeah um what what did i what have i actually sold i've been selling a, a lot of stuff recently obviously because coming towards the end of joe's maternity leave so we're kind of in that bit where we went away to the uk that was expensive came back we need to get some money i've sold a few board games so i said um i think we discussed this sean on our show the other week about um, pulling and that kind of thing. It's been on the shelves, it's still in shrink wrap. It's probably time to get rid of it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that's generally generally it. I was, yeah, um, other right. than the natural cycle of something en- ending, I don't generally force the issue of stopping playing. Right. Can, I, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. So how do you feel about evergreen games now there are only a handful of those because one of the natural stopping points for a game of course is when a game company stops producing a game and sure you can have that mad rush at the end like oh i've always wanted to grab this grab this and now i've got the quote-unquote complete game but then as games die um they just tend to stop being played like maybe you find a small community that still kind of plays xyz game but overall those games tend to go off to the wayside but when you have evergreen games like your games workshop level games like your um wizards of the coast your magic the gathering type of games um i've personally with the except like i said with the one small exception of doing the meta chasing i don't sell my stuff because i know me i know eventually I'm going to come back around the Tyranids and the Necrons that I've been playing. My Necrons I have had since fourth edition for a lot of them. So it's a lot of the models that I still feel to this day are models that I bought in the early two thousands when I was first starting to get into the game. So for me, it's one of those things like, okay, I'm going to stop playing the game, but I know I'm going to come back to it. So they're going to go on a shelf and they're going to go, you know, in a box on a shelf and we're going to turn the light off. And someday I'm going to turn the light back on, pick them back up and they're going to be right there to pick back up. How do you feel about some of those evergreen games? There's a lot of stuff that I have that I would put in that category, but equally, like, I've moved continents. I've <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, I've expanded my family from me and Jill and a dog to me and Jill, two dogs, fish, and two children. You know, um, and space becomes an actual issue now i'm getting rid of stuff that if it was just me as a singly i'd still have and have no issues with you know um but <laughs> there's more to consider than just the game itself sure yeah and, and i can actually throw into that too you know um for a short period of time around 2009 2010 i think it was around that time frame um you know, my son and I got into magic, and then, you know, the, the magic um, kind of bit me, so I would go play tournaments and things like that. So you're, you know, you're buying boxes to open boxes and things like that. 
Um, but you really, you're chasing the high dollar cards and things like that when you're doing that. And, you know, then when you're, you know, when you're wanting to win at tournaments, you're really spending money on, if you're playing, if you're playing, um, constructed tournaments, you know, you have to have your deck available, which means you have to have all the cards that make your deck competitive. Um, you know, and you're going and, you know, traveling to Kansas city from Omaha to, be at a convention center where you're playing with 400 other people playing in a Grand Prix for Magic and stuff. So for a little while there, you know, we played a competitive, I played on the, like the higher competitive stuff at Grand Prix. You know, we would play at Friday Night Magics, things like that. And and then after a while, my son just, you know, he was getting older, moving into high school and, um, you know, he kind of lost interest, and I stuck with it for a lot longer than he did. And, you know, I was getting into the Elder Dragon Highlander or, you know, whatever they call it, Singleton Magic, stuff like that. So the 100-card decks and those decks, if you really want to be competitive or driven off of good cards, expensive old cards, things like that. And the nice thing is you only had to buy one, not four. Yeah, but you still, know. some of those ones are really expensive. Yeah, you know, I remember the most expensive deck I ever had was a modern deck, and it was like seven hundred bucks. You know, now I didn't spend seven hundred bucks, but that was the value of the deck if you would have paid current pricing because you're trading for it and stuff like that. So most of it, the mana base. Yeah, yeah, you know, the a good majority of it is to you know to probably. Probably three to four hundred dollars of it was mana, and then you're paying for everything else. And you know, to me, it was just like after a while, I just I kind of got burnt out on it, and you know, I, I didn't like the way Magic was going. It just kind of started to change um, from being a fun, you know, open pack type game to really having to buy cards like like in standard. I'm talking, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just got too expensive. I mean, expensive relative. So I decided at that point I would just, uh, you know, submit all of the cards that had value to, you know, Cool Stuff Inc. and get the credit for it and, and you know, then turn that into board games and other stuff. And so I completely sold out of magic as far as, you know, the valuable cards and things like that. I still had boxes and boxes and binders full of, the the cards that nobody else wants, you know, the the twenty five, you know, one mana cost card that allowed you to draw a card that is a common that everybody had and stuff. So I I got about six grand for my magic stuff, and that six grand turned into X Wing, you know, it turned into being able to have four of everything when X Wing first came out for the first wave and then the second wave. And then, of course, it bought me board games and things like that. And, you know, that was pretty much when I got out of Magic, where I was spending money on Magic, you know. Now, with that said, I have some regrets, because there's a couple decks I would like to have built now, just to have and play, you know, with friends. Other, I have other friends that play Magic, not competitively. It's just, you know, they have decks that they have put together and... You know, but I don't have all the cards for it anymore because I'm not going to spend, you know, 80 bucks on sack lands just to, you know, have have them in a in a deck. <laughs> and I'm just going to play with friends, you know, yep. fetch lands. Yeah. You know, and so 
Go to wish.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but then I, you know, play Magic Arena, which is kind of nice because it's digital cards, so they never go away. You know, I mean, they do if the if they shut the system <laughs> off, you know. No, um, I was just going to say, don't don't say never. Yeah. So the, and then the opposite I, to uh, the normal response to licensing some product off someone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So, you know, Arena still exists, and MTGO still exists, and I have decks on that still, you know. So I have my my ways of playing Magic, and I actually play Arena um, to do the dailies and stuff like that, and, you know, get the gold. I, I try to earn the gold, so when I buy packs, when the next set comes out, I'm just spending the gold that I've played, you know, from all the dailies and stuff, and, and uh, from the gems and all that crap. So I'm really not spending money on it, other than I will buy the um whatever you call it they they have their little things when new sets come out where you spend like 25 bucks and get 50 packs and you know the the tokens and stuff like that so yeah i do do stuff like that but that's a one time deal every few months and it's less than 100 bucks and you know it gives me the ability to have fun doing some drafts or some sealed stuff and i enjoy that and i do the and that also pays now for your, I don't know what it's called, but it's the mastery stuff that they have. Yeah, it's their um, battle pass. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, when you buy those, it pays those too. So it's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I get it. You know, with Magic, I've done that, where I walked away from a game, sold everything, you know, or sold most of everything. Um Almost all the other cards that I had left over were damaged in when my basement flooded. Um, so those, you know, all the extra cards that I had are gone. You know, they had to be tossed. Um, yeah, I've got, in this closet right over here, I've got about five of those big boxes. And most of most of it is common and uncommon cards. Yeah. Um, if I ever wanted to put together the decks and like every once in a while, every once in a while, the kids are like, oh, let's play some magic. And I've got some pre-made decks for them. But if they ever want to kind of go through and sift through them, legitimately what I should do is probably go through those. And they're just common cards. Just either unload them on bulk or something like that. Like they're literally just taking up space in the closet. Just like yeah. take build five or ten decks, just set them there. And if anyone wants to play, I've got them. And then after that, like... For me, that was probably one of my biggest hobby mistakes ever is whenever I was first getting into 40K was selling off my Magic card collection that I, to this day, I regret. Now, the convex to that is I got an, I got so much money for the cards that I sold back then, which I know are worth so much more money now, but it bought me enough to get into 40K. Yeah. Like, and I bait... I basically traded those cards for the bulk of my Necrons and part of my Tyranid army. Right. And that's, that's kind of where you're, you know, you're benefiting from a game that you have played and enjoyed to get into another, you know, like I did with my magic with X-Wing, you know, the, and that's kind of the key, you know, is for me when I got out of X-Wing, cause I've decided I'm done with X-Wing. I'm not going to play it anymore. So I got to, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my, with the miniatures now, you know, am I going to keep them? Am I going to sell them? Now they take up space. I don't have my 1.0 stuff anymore. Like, you know, I, when 2.0 came out, I ended up tossing just the cards for 1.0 and so did I, I, you know, well, I kind of regret that kind of, I don't because 1.0 is dead. 
you know, I mean, there are probably people that still play it, but you'll never play play tournaments of it or anything. Like no, that. the only thing I saved was all of the alt art cards. Yeah, see, I, I, I sold all of mine and gave them away. When I got out, you know, I had Boba Fett and Han Solo. You know, I had everything, I think, except Lando at that time. The original, you know. Yeah, the movie the, still ones. The movie still ones and stuff. So when I... When I kind of retired the first time, my last store championship, I took uh, the the deck boxes that you got from the the kits and yep, stuff. I can, I can see them right over there. And what I did is I put a card in. I, I had so we had like thirty three players, and I had thirty three boxes. And and uh, every round, I I would draw names and. In there, I had all the movie still cards or tokens or whatever. You know, they were packed in there. And so that was kind of like the in-between round stuff that we gave away. And Boba Fett was the big one because that was the one that was going for like 150 bucks at the time. And Yeah, I was just hopping on um, eBay while we were talking about this to see if these things even still have any... If anyone's even selling... Like, I see a whole bunch of the new ones. Right. But is anyone still selling... And there are. There are still some people that are still selling the old... Uh, first edition ones, but they have dropped significantly in value. Yeah, because, you know, they're unplayable, you know, in essence. You know, they're just a memorabilia now. Sure. When you get down to it, what was funny is, is when I was, I was at a tournament in Kansas City when we were on the old show, and somebody had me sign their flipping Han Solo card. You know, that was like a $50 <laughs> card. I remember that. You know, and I'm like, why are you having me... Have me sign, you know, like like uh, your your 40th, you know, Howl Runner card or something, you know, that's that's just out of the box, you know, not the no, no promos and things like that. But um, so a second part of this topic I want to ask, which which I'll start off with again is something you've sold and later regretted or something you've thrown away or something you've given away. Um, and you've later regretted. I know you mentioned magic there, Ed, that you regret yep. that. But uh, me, a full full set of uh, of revised dual lands. Yep, totally yep. regret that. Um, for me, it's my Bretonian army both times because I had Bretonian. Mm, yeah, you know, in the old version of Warhammer Fantasy, um, the Bretonians because the the model sculpts on the the knights. When you look at those, they are so flipping cool. You know, the horse sculpts and the model sculpts are just unbelievably well done. The Grail Knights and, you know, how cool and detailed they were. And, and back then, I, you know, I had no skill. I actually did paint a good portion of my, like, Bretonian archers and my, whatever they were, the Lancers or whatever, the uh, whole arms guys and stuff like that. The frontline guys that you throw out there is fodder. Um, I had a bunch of those when I first played, and then I had a bunch the second time around because I got rid of everything the first time around and then bought into it again, spent a lot of money, and then did it again, and then I sold them all. Um, that's To me, that's something that I I regretted getting rid of, and it's actually something I regretted getting out of. If I I wish they would have stuck with, with the uh, Warhammer Fantasy rather than going to Dominion. Or you know, in the Age of Sigmar. Or Age yeah. of Sigmar, yeah, yeah. So we'll be back soon, Sean. Bretonians. Yep some some iteration or version of it is coming back. Really? Oh crap! Really, really. All right, Chris, and, we'll start with you first on this one. Um, 
the the easy regrets I have when I moved from um, the UK to Canada, I made some judgment calls. I obviously I sold up what X-wing stuff I had and kept my dystopian wars. I I had to clear out a bunch of stuff, but so there's some regrets there, but like they were done for a purpose. Um, the main one I probably regret. Uh, getting rid of would be my Dark Angels army just because of the the memories around doing that, like painting it in the Falklands, playing with it for so many years, having it, and uh, I sold it cheap. I didn't really have any intention of using it ever again. I probably wouldn't be using it now. I'll play Dark Angels again, but I'd still want to do a new army for it now. Um, models, yeah. But not using the old ones. But yeah, there probably is some uh, some nostalgia in getting rid of that that I regret. Um, selfishly, I regret being nice as often as I am and letting people have stuff cheap or for free, or you know what I mean. All of that stuff where I probably didn't need to do that. Like, but that's just. That that gets some more into failings as a human than um, regrets <laughs> about models, you know. So, yeah. So for, I already gave my big one. Um, admittedly, um, it was two thousand and four. My wife was pregnant with Gabriel at the time, and I knew we didn't. We were still, you know, young and broke and. I wanted to get into 40k and the only way I did the only thing I had value I had two things that I sold to kick off my 40k hobby. Um obviously I'd already talked about it but um my old magic card collection um there's just one deck. Like don't get me wrong, when I look at the prices of revised dual lands now, do I really regret letting go of three underground seas <laughs> for like 60 bucks each or a hundred percent do I regret that because uh, I if I'd have held on, but I kind of like I said, like being in that state whenever you want to get into an expensive hobby, you don't have the money to do so, um, and you trade basically one hobby for another, there is a hit that you take on that. So there are, they, I mean, legitimately, if I ever really, really wanted to get those things back, I mean, could I probably start dedicating time? Like, I mean, I probably spent more than that on. Everything else that's in this room, could I probably get them back? Maybe not for the price that I've got them for, but it, it's just one of those regrets because it, for me, it's the value. Um, it's like if that would have been one, like everything else, everything for the most part, I'm, I, I don't normally sell things off usually um, to my wife's severe chagrin as I sit here and look at a box of, you know, a bookshelf full of RPGs that I haven't touched in a long time or a space rain army that's sitting in there, or, you know, I haven't touched my Necrons or my Tyranids in a bit. I'm going to, it's 10th edition. I'm going to go through all three of my armies, but I've got, you know, there's stuff, there is stuff here that if I probably wanted to get rid of it, I could. So my big, uh, aside from that was one of the things I sold was my original hero quest. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I, I actually I know more than you that regret, regret that. I have it. I have one back. It's not complete. I can see it from where I'm sitting there. There's I, at some point in time I need to go and get them. There's like four pieces that are missing out of it before it's complete. But my original one, and I knew at the time that it was valuable, and I sold. And I think I got like I don't know 150 bucks for it back then. 
Um, but it was complete. All the miniatures were painted. And I'm kind of in the same boat with Chris. It's the nostalgia. Like, those were some of the first minis I ever remember painting. It wasn't 40K stuff. It was learning. How, and they were painted awfully. They're gone. Like, I, it's one of those things, like, I know that there are some people that always have, like, here's one of the first models I ever painted. And I always keep this model. I'm never going to strip this model because I want it to remind me this is how far you've come in the hobby. This is what you used to paint. And this is how you are now. Oh boy, do I wish I still had some of those. Um, I remember one point in time when I was trying to find the one that I have that um, my aunt ended up giving me. Um, oh boy, like I tried reaching out to the person I know I sold it to and he'd gotten rid of it years after, years ago. So like it's gone to the ether now. So somebody out there in this area or who knows where it went, eBay or wherever, um, probably stripped them out, but they have my painted miniatures. So I, I regret that because there were so many, um, so many years, so many days at my buddy Mike's house playing hero quest hours upon hours upon hours of playing that game that when it, when it was gone, it, it hurt, it hurt to let it go. And even buying this one here, it didn't bring it back. It's like one of those things like you, you like, Oh, I wish I had that back because I, my red box, uh, my red box D and D thing, which uh, is behind me. We had a similar situation uh, with you, Sean, where uh, we had a flood, and a lot of my original first edition um, Dungeons and Dragons stuff was lost. Mostly the stuff that I had in the bottom, which were all the box sets, and I've never gotten back to those. But that red box was so important to me that I had to have it back. No, well, I understand that. All right, so one more, one more part of this topic that I kind of want to throw the inverse and that's something you regret not buying or something that you regret not getting into. And I'll start with this. Just it's, it's a regret of not buying when I was in the air force, that was the, you know, early nineties. And I regret when I had that disposable money, which wasn't much. I mean, back then you didn't make much when you were in the military, but I didn't have any responsibilities. <clears throat> but what I do wish is I would have bought all of the first edition D&D and second edition D&D stuff that was out there. Um, I, Sorry, th this is me waving at my first edition boxes, books that are all sitting there. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even that's not even touching the surface, though. When you get into... Like the modules know, and stuff like that, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, the Forgotten Realms, you know, the Dragon Magazines. Think about the Dragon Ooh. Magazines. You know? um, those things, sorry, I'm getting in a coughing stretch here but um those are the things that i wish that i would have been smarter with you know and i have some i have some of what i had bought but you know there were so many box sets the you know when forgotten realms came so greyhawk let's just start with greyhawk you know there was so much material for greyhawk that was out there and then all the dragon magazines you know up to when gygax left and everything for from um <laughs> sorry um yeah, take a minute. That'll give me longer to think about this one because I, I have a long list of stuff I can add to this list. Yeah. So, you know, if I if I could have gotten all the Gamma World stuff, you know, when Gamma World first came out and all the Gamma World modules that came out and then the second edition and third edition Gamma World, not nearly as good as first, but it was a little better in some ways. Star Frontiers, you know, having all the Star Frontier stuff, um, you know, just that type of stuff. That's my biggest regret. Now, you know, owning all of that, you would have to have dedicate a pretty good wall in a house to store it all, you know, on bookshelves and whatever. 
um, or a lot of boxes space. But yeah, that's that's kind of my big thing. Um, that's my one regret was not investing more in, but you didn't know what it would be like today, you know, what the value of it would be today. But it's just that that's really what I miss is the first and second edition hard book, hardback books. And I have a lot of it. I don't have everything, but I have a lot of it. Um, you know, I have a bookshelf dedicated to, you know, to role playing games in my bedroom. And I'm disappointed when I look at the D&D section because it's only three shelves. You know, where because <laughs> it's only three shelves, right? You know, it should be about 25 shelves, 30 shelves, but I only have three, and that's disappointing. But I'll throw this at you, Ed. So, what's what's your regret? Okay, so I have I have one real quick one, but then I'll, I'll get on to my big one. Um, the quick one was whenever the freaking Duelist 26 first came out, I'm never going to forget this. And they announced the prices for the first time on what Magic the Gathering cards were. We had a guy at our local game store who had a Black Lotus and it came out in that book the very first time and it was 50 bucks and he was offering to sell it, had the money and didn't buy it because for me, that would have been one card. Because I held on to one deck from whenever I sold all my stuff. I still have the stuff. Like, I still have my sinkholes. I still have, like, my my deck back in those days was a black discard deck. So, like, the Hymn to Torax, the Hypnotic Specters, and, you know, sinkholes were in that deck. So I kept that deck. But I would knew, I know I would have kept that card. Because I, 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 I don't know what I was thinking at the time. And it's one of those things, like, if you'd have known now what you'd known then, of course you'd have given $50 for a perfect condition beta Black Lotus. 100% would have done that. But for me, it was like back in those days, we didn't play with sleeves. Like, the idea that any one card had any value, like, you played them with sleeves, you bent them up, and um, I... A hundred percent. I remember it like it was like it was yesterday standing at the game store. My dad and I are side by side and he's like, oh, I'm not paying 50 bucks for that. Get, are you doing that? I was working at McDonald's at the time and that was probably like half my paycheck. And that that, that was like two less pizzas, you know, like like what? Why? Why didn't I pull the trigger on that? And I will. That, that's going to haunt me for my days. <laughs> you lost it in an antique game. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd have lost it in the anti game too. Um, yeah. And that's a funny thing, too, because I hear a lot of people that played in Alpha and Beta that regret not keeping their, you know, keeping the sets, you know, because just like everybody else, when you're young, you have no concept of what that value is sure. and what that value is going to be. You know, the Power Nine were the Power Nine, but they weren't the Power Nine as they're viewed today. No. And like, you know. even like cards that are considered to be super powerful now weren't like, I remember people being upset at getting dual lands because in the, those days, in the very early days, at least from our local folks that we were playing the folks who were playing on the college campuses, it was monocolored decks. Yeah. So like, I remember people being disappointed opening packs. So uh, a little bit of history for the way that it worked here in the greater Pittsburgh area, uh, Wizards of the Coast is obviously on the West coast. So like we didn't see anything alpha. So anything alpha that is here in this local area has been imported from the West coast here. We didn't get a beta release here, but what we did get is I do remember opening packs of Unlimited. That's whenever we got into the game um, was I recall opening packs of Unlimited. And I also remember people opening up a pack and, ooh, there is a, oh, a dual land. I don't want that. That's how I ended up with all the dual lands that I had. 
because I had this stupid idea for a Legends deck whenever Legends came out, and I took all the gold cards, all the multicolored cards, and said, I'm going to make a five-color deck, and the only way that's going to work is with Dual Lands. And I just dual collected lands, yep. Dual Lands because I just ran 25 Dual Lands right. in that deck. That's, that, that's how I did it. But nobody wanted them. Because nobody at locally, maybe there was someone that ran a two-color deck. We're looking for you know a plateau or something like that. But beyond that, nobody wanted them. But oh man, do I regret? I regret opening some of those packs. I regret, like I remember having sitting in my dad's living room, cracking open the seal on a box of unlimited. Mm. Like the day it was yesterday. Yep. I, so here's. Oh yeah. boy, what I oh boy do I regret. Just, just set it on a shelf. Oh my God, what that would like. My dad could retire off of that if it were just sitting on his. Oh, yeah. And, and like the in box sets back then, like if ever, I think there were like what two fifty a pack, two twenty five a pack, something like that back in those days. Yeah. Like we paid sixty bucks for that box set. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, but we didn't know. Like, who knew that that game was going to be sticking around that long? Um, there's a, there's a, it's not a regret that, that that's not a regret of what I didn't buy. That's a regret of, Oh God, I don't, I can't believe we cracked open that whole booster box of unlimited. Ooh, what I wouldn't be able to do. For so really, really quick. So I got two examples of, I have the books, but if I didn't have the books, this is just how much more crushing it would be. So I'm looking at first edition fiend folio hardback, 129.98 for one. Yeah. On eBay. Plus okay, five. So... shipping. Uh, it's not the Fiend Folio I'm thinking of. It's Deities and Demigods, because there's yep. two. 60, the... 60 bucks for the original cover. Or, yeah, it's the original cover. Um, 78, buy it out now. Or buy it now for that one. The Forgotten Realms Atlas, which I looked far oh, and wide to repurchase awesome. that. 65 bucks. Oh, you know? oh. And the original like... Forgotten Realms box set. Oh, that was one of the ones that I lost in the... So the original box set was the thin box set, like the like right. the red and blue box. And then they came out with the second box set, which is a thicker box set. And that's the one that I have. <clears throat> All right, Chris, what about you? Your biggest regret on something you didn't complete or buy or, or buy into? Ooh. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, cool. I just looked up. So one of the boxes, my one of my big favorite campaign settings of all time of second edition D and D was Planescape. Oh yeah. And that and oh boy, the Planescape campaign setting, uh, box set complete, running about five hundred bucks. Yeah. Oh, all right. That makes you cry. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I mean, mine's pretty short anyway. Because, um. I don't know that I really have any regrets and stuff I didn't get into. Um, like, I suppose if I put, if I end up really loving Battletech, I could have been playing it for years, but it's got to be the people you've got to play it with. And right. I've never been shy of, you know, moving my hobby, hobby money from one thing to the other thing that's going to let me enjoy playing games with my friends, so... Yeah, I don't really think that I have any. Is you know what I mean? I, 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 I got one. If you want to, if you want to pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So for those of you, I don't know. I don't know what the tar, I don't know what the basic 
demographic is for us as far as age group is concerned. I, I remember hearing a comedian tell. I, I remember a comedian telling a joke. It was probably a Bill Burr joke. But sometime whenever you hit your late, your mid thirties to early forties, you start really becoming really interested in World War II, and it's a hundred percent true. Um, legitimately, um, I, the, the, no joke, no shit today on the drive home today, my, uh, son, cause the ax throwing place that we went to for our team building event, um, had an old Winchester rifle on there, De- you know, decommissioned, but he had, and he's like, Oh man, I really want to get one of those. And I've always wanted an M one grand cause I always thought that world war two, like I'm a gigantic world war two, uh, buff. I've always regretted not getting into one of those games. I don't care which one it is. Like we have players at our local game store that play it. I don't know if it's Flames of War. I don't know if it's you know you know what's the. I the guess Yan- it's probably, probably Bolt Action Team Bolt Yankee. Action. Team yeah. Yankee Bolt Action. We have guys that play that game, and not because it's competitive, not because it's you know like there's a gigantic fault, just because. A, just the era of being I've always regretted not getting into a historical game. Yeah. I've never done it. I like all the games that I've ever played have always been in some either sci-fi or fantasy um setting. I always thought it would and I mean I look at it and it looks cool. It really does. It's just I've never pulled the trigger on it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like any game. It's expensive to get into Yeah, you'd be just surprised. To, just to play the game, you know, to buy you know, I, I don't know if they, I think Bolt Action has, one of them has starter boxes, don't they, Chris? Yeah, Bolt Action's got really good value sets. Yeah, but the rest is like, you know, onesies and twosies, plus you, the rules and everything else that you got to sure. One of the, So we have two local gamesters here. One that's, you know, the one that we usually go to, and then there's one that's another 15, 20 minutes down the way, Norms. I love Norms. Toy Soldiers in uh, Latro, or... Um, I'm sorry, not Latrobe, Ligonier, PA, right by Fort Ligonier. Um, Norm is how I got introduced a lot because he was the only store around for the longest time. He is the sweetest old guy. And he is one of those guys that plays like Napoleonics. Mm-hmm. Like that's his niche. And every, I guarantee you on any Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, when you walk into Toy Soldier at Ligonier, you will see Norm sitting at his tiny store in the front counter painting a horseman or painting a cannon and he's got these shelves in there. He's just got wall and wall, the walls of these Napoleonics. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, and I get it. That's his thing that, that that's his historic era that he really, really enjoys. And that's, that's where he really sells a lot of, he still sells the modern stuff. He still sells 40 K. He still sells age of Sigmar. Like he sells that kind of stuff because it keeps the lights on. Um, but like I've always regretted just not getting like not pulling the trigger and getting into one of those historical type games, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, that's all that I have for topics, you know, questions and everything for the topic tonight. But uh, anything else, you know, any alibis that you want to add or anything to the regrets or or regrets that you didn't get into something or regrets of something that you got out of? Anything you guys want no, to add? No, no. What I think the only the only other thing I'd want to add on to it is it's it's okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I went on for quite a bit lamenting some of the stuff that I've let go. But quite honestly, if you've if you're in one of those scenarios where you're not having fun for whatever one of those nuanced reasons, it's okay to let it go. It really is. Um, you you might have someone like me going, oh God, I'm really, really sorry I let that particular thing go or so. But ultimately, and if you're not enjoying the game and it's a game that you come back around to five or six years later, 
you can always buy back into it. Like Chris said, like, would it be nice if he had his old Dark Angels army? Sure. Would he field those ones? Probably not, because he'd want to field the new ones. It'd be kind of nice for that nuanced side of it, but it is okay to let the... Like, for me, whenever I got into X-Wing, I let go of the two... The, I was chasing the meta when I was playing Tal and Eldar. I let go of my those armies, and that's, that's what started my X-Wing collection, was right. doing that. So it, it's okay to trade hobby for hobby. You're not going to get doll, You're not going to get top dollar. That's not going to, unless it's complete in the box and then maybe, maybe, you know, unopened in the cellophane kind of thing. Maybe you might get top dollar for that. But for the most part, it's okay to kind of let that stuff go and get out of a game, especially if you need the room, especially if you need the money, and especially if you don't have the time and you're not having the fun with it. It's okay. There are oodles of games out there, oodles and oodles and oodles of them out there. You'll find one that you enjoy. I, I was going to say, Sean, because I wasn't sure exactly, but I thought the topic may have been like when to stop playing a game that you're currently like in the process of playing, like table flip was one. Oh, of, yeah. oh. yeah, I mean, you could throw that out there too. You yeah. know, I mean, it could be short. I'm just looking kind of at the long term, you know, view on this one. Yeah. I may revisit this. I kind of have a couple topics similar to this that feeds into that table flip, you know, when does the, you know, like frustration, you know, things like that. So yeah, that's down the road. So I have a list of topics that I'm going to try to hit on. So, so I'll save that one. Save, save that great one. Great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> save, save that one, Chris. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, all right. It sounds like we are done for the evening. Sean, always good talking to you, my friend. Always good to be here. Chris, always good talking to you. Thanks, Seb. It's always good to be here. Still haven't done my homework yet, so I am going to cheat and kick it over to you for your closing arguments. <laughs> it's really hard to... It is. Wait, wait, let's see, if, hang on, let's see if I can remember. Hang on. All right, let, uh, we'll do it live. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Um, <laughs> always remember that there's a Patreon. Um, check out the Patreon if you want to support us, the show, and basically help keep Chris keep the lights on for all the stuff that we're doing here. Um, we have, of course, the Discord, which is absolutely awesome. If you want to see picture, painted pictures of my sisters and, you know, the amazing job that Chris does in his mind, I, I consider myself an above average painter, but I'm trying. And that's what that that's all that matters. Um, you can find that all at our Discord. There's oodles of conversations going on there. Everything from all different kinds of games. Uh, we do have special specialty channels for all that stuff. Check that out always a friendly place. One of the things that Chris said about our discord that I absolutely love is he doesn't really have to police it because for whatever reason, we don't have the dicks there. Everybody is very friendly. Everybody's happy to help. So you can check those out. Um, did I miss anything, Chris? No, just um, make it easier on yourself and tell people everything's on the website. So you don't have to. Oh, that's uh, right. People. Yeah. Yep, so dissect.com. So I'll just check the show notes. See, all right, next time I'll have it. It'll be Patreon, Discord, website. I'll get it next time. I promise. <laughs> all right, well, that is going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed. We will see you again in two weeks. And until then, fly casual. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast brought to you by Dice Productions.